type 1 diabetes. It's come a long way since Dr. Frederick Banting and Charles Best first discovered insulin in 1921, don't you think? For those of us who've had this disease for several years, <clears throat> 35 for me, we've seen the progress and advancements. We've seen the evolution of our diabetes technologies, insulin injection devices, insulin itself, and of our overall knowledge of this disease. And a lot of that, if not all, is thanks to research. Today's guest is all about the T1D research. Welcome to Diabetic to Dietetics. My name is Katie Bartell, and I'm the host of this podcast showcasing the incredible and unique stories of people with type 1 diabetes. As a registered dietitian who works with people that have type 1 diabetes and as a person that has T1D myself, I have seen and experienced the highs and lows of this disease literally and figuratively. Type 1 diabetes is not a textbook disease. The way one person experiences this disease can be vastly different from the way another person experiences it. There are so many stories buried in type 1. This podcast is all about sharing those stories. It's a place for those outside the T1D community to learn of our struggles and of our successes, and it's a place for those with T1D to connect. Today, I am so totally fangirling over my guest, Dr. Michael Rydell. Dr. Rydell is arguably one of the most influential and leading edge researchers for sport and type 1 diabetes. He is a professor in the School of Kinesiology and Health Sciences Muscle Health Research Center at York University, and he is also a senior scientist with LMC Diabetes and Endocrinology. His name has been attached to at least 70 publications over the last 25 years, and he estimates involvement in over 200 research research studies, both at the animal and human trial level. Beyond his professional scope, Dr. Rydell has type 1 diabetes and is also the father of a child with type 1 diabetes. This guy knows his stuff. Dr. Rydell was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 1982 at 14 years old. He had just returned home from basketball camp and, not too surprisingly given his age, his main concern at the time of his diagnosis was not the diabetes, but rather how quickly he could get back to his sports. Dr. Rydell is an avid road and mountain cyclist, tennis and basketball player, hiker, and mountain trekker. His love of sports and physical activity pre- and post-diabetes has not only been a huge benefit to him, but also to the rest of us by way of his dedicated research. I really wanted to be an educator. I wanted to help people who were diagnosed. And I wanted to try to understand why exercise was so tricky for many of us to manage. Every project I do, I do with a lot of excitement and every paper I publish, I'm just so proud of and, and so excited for. I get more excited with every publication than even my students do. I take pictures and give them to the students, I frame them, I say, this is your first publication, this is my 200th, I'm so excited about this one. 
Dr. Rydell's lab was the first to highlight post-exercise nocturnal hypoglycemia. He has studied the effects of caffeine on reducing exercise-associated low blood sugars. He scrutinized the differences in blood sugar patterns between genders during high-intensity exercise, and he's explored using glucagon before exercise to prevent hypoglycemia. This is just a small sample of the expansive work Dr. Rydell has been involved in with type 1 in sport since the early 1990s. He is very humble when discussing his research, though, noting that he does not work in a silo. His research projects are a team effort, and they are often initially designed and led by his graduate students. He's also so gracious when discussing his subject participants, knowing that these projects wouldn't be possible without their volunteer efforts. Over the years, his research role has evolved from direct hands-on to more mentorship and administrative supervisory duties. Sometimes he misses the early days. Early on, I'd be at the bench or I'd be doing experiments. And now it's mostly done by graduate students and postdoctoral fellows. So I guess I, I play more of a mentorship role in trying to rip funds, ask research questions, get the funding for the experiments, and negotiate with industry if we're doing, let's say, a study on a new insulin and how it affects the exercise response. And that's all well and good, but it means that I'm not seeing as many subject volunteers as I used to, and I do miss that. So from time to time, I will make sure that I'm there to meet subject participants. And just to hear their experiences with type 1 is always just as fascinating now as it was way back when I was first meeting other people with type 1. It's just so fun to meet people with type 1 and share stories. I totally get that. It's funny because for years I hid my diabetes. I would give my insulin injections in the washroom if I was in public and I refused to go on an insulin pump for years because I didn't want my T1D on display. I don't know when exactly all that changed. I suspect probably when I finally did transition to an insulin pump about 13 or 14 years ago. But I did become bold with my diabetes and an advocate in the process. And now one of my favorite things is when I randomly connect with others that also have type 1 diabetes. I've struck up conversations mid-running race with a person that had their CGM on display, and I've had others connect with me after seeing either my Dexcom or Omnipod. This community is fantastic if we let it be. Yeah, I think that with type 1 diabetes being a bit more visible now because of sensors and pumps, it does make me want to spark up conversations to, to people at the airport or at the shopping mall, but it drives my kids crazy because they'll be like, why do you want to talk to that person, dad? You don't even know them. They don't know you. But I just, like you, I, you feel that connection when you see that diabetes device and you want to let them know that they're not alone. And I think that's kind of a neat feeling. Probably one of the most influential publications that Dr. Rydell has recently headed was the Consensus Guidelines for Exercise Management with Type 1 Diabetes. These guidelines provide recommendations for blood sugar targets, nutrition, and insulin dosing before, during, and after exercise based on the most current research of the time. 
Since their release in 2017, they have been a go-to resource for healthcare professionals around the world wanting to support their clients in exercise. That really is the handbook now for how to get started with exercise management type one. But it was just a collection of ideas and experiments that were done by me and others in the field. And to put those guidelines together was really, I think, really impactful. As valuable as these guidelines are, however, they are still very limited. I think the major challenge for current research in sport in type 1 is to try to come up with recommendations that are going to work for everybody. I think that is the most frustrating thing about our job. We do these carefully controlled laboratory studies and we come up with some strategy. Let's say it's lower the insulin by 50%. Take 50% of your bolus insulin at the meal before exercise. And, you know, you make that recommendation based on carefully controlled studies done in the lab, but then they all fall apart in reality. Of course they do, right? Not one person with type 1 diabetes is the same. Our bodies differ from person to person, ergo, it makes sense that our T1D would also differ from person to person. So general recommendations developed in a controlled environment with often a relatively small sample size are going to have challenges when reality sets in. Dr. Rydell is working hard to change that. I'm hoping that the research will evolve such that we'll have more done on the N of one. So you and I are both ends of one, and we have a lot of data that could be analyzed for us, but we don't really have a good way of doing that. None of the insulin pumps really even record what we've done and then make a recommendation. We sort of take all this information to our healthcare provider. They look at the data and they then try to come up with their best guess on how to adjust for exercise. But to be honest, our data is there. could be analyzed for us by a machine and it could give us probably better recommendations around exercise and sport. And we're not there yet, but that's where I'd like to see it go in the future. But even if those advancements were made with our technologies, the variability of T1D in general is a major hurdle that is continuously hard to overcome. I mean, How many of us have created T1D exercise plans through trial and error efforts that work one day, three days, two weeks, and then all of a sudden, bam, they don't work anymore? I have, and oh my God, it is one of the most frustrating things for me to navigate. Dr. Rydell agrees. The lack of reproducibility in our blood sugar responses to exercise is one of the most frustrating things I think that we all face. You know, variability is the real crux, the real challenge for us right now in this in this field. I think that exercise is just one more variable that doesn't have good reproducibility within an individual, and we still don't know why that is. It must be because there are dozens, if not hundreds, of different factors that might impact our sugar, so it's pretty hard to keep them all consistent when we do exercise, that's for sure. Do I ever know that? I have had my fair share of bombs when it's come to diabetes and exercise. In fact, a couple of weeks prior to this interview, I went on a long bike ride with my husband. I'd done multiple long bike rides leading up to this one, and my diabetes and sports strategy at that time was pretty well defined. But on the day of that ride, despite doing everything that I'd previously done, no changes, everything fell apart. 
My blood sugar skyrocketed at the start and then bottomed out midway through. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was cursing the hell out of my diabetes. And even though I know that there is no perfection when it comes to diabetes, and I know that no matter how much effort we put into managing our T1D, there will always be blips like this along the way but I still had negative thoughts clouding my head of, what the heck? I'm supposed to be a nutrition expert with T1D. Why the frick am I failing so miserably? But you know what? I am not alone. We are not alone. This disease is so much about trial and error, and sometimes our efforts are bound not to work. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that you still are making mistakes. It would make me feel awful if I was the only one still making mistakes and supposed to be a world expert on the topic. I went on a bike ride when I was at the University of Guelph as an undergrad with a former Olympian. He was studying kinesiology, but he'd been in the Seoul Olympics for cycling. And I was just, I had to stop because I couldn't even pedal anymore. I'd sit in the ditch while he sprinted as fast as his Olympic body could take him to the corner store to buy a bunch of chocolate bars and Coca-Cola and bring them back to me. Learning what works for you and what works for me is so important because we spend most of our time with trial and error, don't we, when we we live with type 1. It's this much insulin, that much insulin, this much food, this much carbohydrate, and timing of all of these things. We really have so many opportunities to make little mistakes, but hopefully learn from them and then try to make fewer and fewer as we age with this disease. When Dr. Rydell first started in research... The second study he was involved in was actually related to the reproducibility of blood sugar response to exercise and type 1 diabetes, looking specifically at if food and exercise intensity were kept consistent, would blood sugar response also be consistent? It is not lost on Dr. Rydell that he is still largely researching the same, but now with more advanced technologies. One of the major challenges that repeatedly plagues him, and the rest of us for that matter too, despite several efforts to overcome, is figuring out how to manage hypoglycemia in sport. Why is it that individuals living with type 1 diabetes, why is it that their body can't fight off hypoglycemia by producing stress hormones like glucagon and the catecholamines. And we have tried to figure out why this is and still don't really have a clue. If you're living with type 1 diabetes and your blood sugar goes too low, you should be able to produce a stress response that brings the blood sugar back up. We've tried different drugs and different exercise training strategies and it still is something we don't fully understand and we can't fix. We just can't crack that nut. But... He won't stop trying. In fact, Dr. Rydell is currently researching the effects of a potential anti-hypoglycemia medication that would prevent lows during exercise. That study is in the preclinical stage at the moment. Maybe we've got a new drug, a new therapy in the works for hypoprevention, not hypotreatment, but hypoprevention, so we don't get it in the first place. To see that come to fruition in humans is going to be pretty exciting. Another study that Dr. Rydell has heavily been involved in is the T1-DEXI study. This study, which stands for Type 1 Diabetes Exercise Initiative, had a large sample population of over 500 adults and 250 children, all wearing continuous glucose monitors 
and looking at patterns of blood sugar responses to different types of exercise. There were 15,000 exercise events included in the adult population alone, real life exercise events, not controlled lab events. The large sample size and the real life component is a significant change from previous studies on sport and type one. I, for one, I'm super excited to see the outcomes when published. Dr. Rydell has essentially spent his entire adult life changing the face of type 1 diabetes. And when I spoke to him, he didn't sound burned out or bored by his career. Quite the opposite. He was excited and enthusiastic and so motivated to continue working towards a better life for all people with type 1. Honestly, that's pretty freaking exciting. We need more engineers to be diagnosed. We need more dietitians to be diagnosed. We need more exercise physiologists to be diagnosed so that we can continue to grow and evolve as a multidisciplinary group that can help better manage this condition. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Rydell, for sharing his story and giving us all a little glimpse into the world of T1D research. For more information on Dr. Rydell's journey and for more information on how to be a participant in his studies, check out the article on Dr. Rydell posted on my website, www.katiebartell.ca. Until next time, T1D community, stay happy, stay safe. I'm Katie Bartell.